Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowpro Ski School based here in Val d'Illier in Switzerland. Hope you're all well. Um, ski season's still going here in Switzerland. Um, I hear that Italy is about to open its uh, ski slopes to the uh, the general public. Uh, Austrians are skiing but locals only. Um, doesn't look like France is going to open anytime soon but uh, there is at least some skiing going on in the Alps um, and so far the ski season apart from all the masks and apart from all the eating outside uh, takeaway food only that kind of stuff um, it does feel a little bit like a relatively norm, normal season in our little corner of the Alps and I know that's not reflected everywhere but uh, um, that's the picture from, from, from Switzerland anyway and it looks like now that I, I think that you know you look at whatever measure that the um, the government is using be it our number be it cases be it whatever um it doesn't look to me like they're going to shut down skiing anymore um that you know the government's own numbers are saying that it's uh, this 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 thing is almost past and uh, so let's hope that that's the case and that we can finish off the season with a bit of sunshine and uh um, which we definitely haven't had actually in in the month of february february's been awful for weather um here it's just you know i don't feel like i've seen the sun for ages um and uh, today was like the first sunny day, you know, the first kind of sunglasses day that, that we've had for, uh, for a very, very long time. Um, this week I've got an interview with you, uh, with, for you, from Giles Lewis. Uh, Giles Lewis is based in Val d'Isere, he's a basic trainer and also he runs his own ski school, the Development Centre in Val d'Isere. Um, I fe- first met Giles on uh, one of the Level 4 techs that I did back in the day. Um, and in addition to being one of the most marvellous um, and free bump skiers that I've ever ever had the pleasure to see and ski with, um, I also remember having a lot of um, really, really interesting conversations with Giles on chairlifts, and I came away from that, although I didn't get that exam at that time, um, I came away from that, you know, thinking that he was a really, really good guy, and a guy that I would, you know, sprung to mind when I was putting together my list of people to interview. So um, I present you... Uh, Episode 32, the episode with Giles Lewis, uh, happy listening. In this first half, we talk about his background. We talk about, there's a story about the origins of the Eurotest in there. Um, we talk about his own business and uh, we also talk about my guilty winter secret. So enjoy the first half and uh, I'll catch you in the middle. Welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast, Josh Lewis. How are you? Yeah, well, thank you. Hi, hi Dave. Hi, everyone. Ah, good. Um, so you join us from, oh, you gave me the name a minute ago, somewhere near Bourg Saint-Maurice, uh, in between there yeah. and Val d'Isère. Yeah, well, it's just attached to Bourg Saint-Maurice, it's a place called Shea. Okay, terrific. And um, you run, well, amongst other things, so basically, you know, the list of accolades is long, but... Uh, um, <laughs> You, you run TDC in Val d'Isere and you're a basic trainer and I expect there's a sort of a long long and complicated history attached to how you ended up in Val d'Isere and how you got skiing. I mean, we always start with with the 
the the background. So how, how did you how did you get into you know did you start skiing at a young age? What what's the uh, what's your story? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was lucky. I was my my mum and dad, well, my dad especially, was really keen on skiing. I think they got into it in, in their twenties, and then they had kids, and they started skiing with us. So our family holiday would be in the winter, and it would be typically to France uh, for for a week holiday. You know, in the Three Valleys or Val d'Isère or, or somewhere like that, and, and that would be an annual thing. And it was great, and that's that's basically what we were into. Um, I did race a little bit on plastic. I think it's one year, one year up at Rossendale. Rossendale's like in North Manchester. I'm from South Manchester, and it was a, it was quite it was quite a big bath to get up there. So I only did one uh, one year racing there. I didn't didn't make the team or anything, um, mm-hmm. but it was quite that was quite good for fun. And then, and then that clashed with rugby training, so, which was right on the doorstep. So I trained rugby instead of, uh, instead of going skiing. Um, and then after, after university, I'd always wanted to, to uh, do a season. I decided I wanted to do a season. And so I did. I went out to Tina and worked as a, as a shy boy, really, in a, in a hotel. I was cleaning beds and serving dinners and things like that. And it was ace. It was just, it was just so good. <laughs> Yeah, it was just so good that I didn't want to go back to uh, what I perceived at the time to be the real world. Yeah, and so and so I did another season after that, and I fell in with a bunch of people who were training for what was called at the time the tested capacity. Uh, you know, they were just good skiers, and they were they were training squalor than it was at the time. Uh-huh. I fell in with them, and ended up doing a few training sessions with them. Right. And then they started talking about this baby thing, and anyway, I, I, that's why I ended up getting into the baby system, and and came back out to do my second season, working for a ski shop, on that ski shop in Val d'Isère, uh, called Precision. They gave me a job uh, driving vans, which allowed me time to to do kind of training, uh, and and then I, I started passing exams and was able to start working for Evolution Two. And that was that, really. And then I've never made it back to the real world. So the real world's here now. <laughs> Excellent. And your so th- at that time, um, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm not trying to date you, but at that time was the the the, the basic system was that when it was one two three or or was it had it changed over to the the four tier system at that point? Uh, no, it was still it was still kind of backwards at the foundation, and then the grade three, two, and one. And whilst I was in the middle of the system. It changed. That was that was changing all the time. Actually, while I was in the system, so it, it became nameless. All the levels became nameless, didn't they? It became instructor, and then it became yeah teacher, and then it became international ski teacher, and, and then it got the the one, two, three, four okay. levels, which I think is a whole lot easier to to work with actually. And and uh, actually, I ended up going on. Um, I ended up going on the very first calibration event for the. For the Euro test, what became the Euro test? Okay, that was quite that was that was quite cool actually because I don't know, anyway, I, I fell in with a group of guys and they were doing slant training, and I ended up doing the test technique, uh, which is the French entry level into their system. Yeah, so I went and did the French the French test technique. That's a bit of a story over, over in Courchevel from team. This is my first season, so the end of the first season in March. Mm. I, I, so I blacked myself a car, drove over there in this uh, in this car, did this race, passed it. Got, got the time um, and then anyway I, then the next thing to do from there is performation which is the first level of French system and they, they couldn't get me on the course for like a year and a half mm. like that. so I was like oh, 
Well, that's a bit disappointing, but never mind. I'll, I'll see what these other guys do, which is the basic system. So I did the foundation of the basic system in that spring. Yeah. And, and then was thinking, well, I'll do, the, I'll do the foundation. I'll just do the what's, what's called the test of capacity because once you once you've got your grade three at the time, you can then have the test of capacity and work as a stagiaire. So I thought, okay, well, I'll become a stagiaire that route, and I'll get to a stagiaire like a season earlier than waiting to do a preformation. Uh-huh. So I, I and do the foundation and then do the, the grade three. Um, anyway, before I could do the grade three, I was just there for a Bayesian member. And Bayesian had this calibration event going on in Austria, in San Christophe, which is near St. Anton. And they were taking over members of the British team. I remember Ross Green, Ross Green was on it, Mark Tilston was there. And they took a representative from every level. They took a representative from the, from the top level. Mm-hmm. So that was Gareth Roberts. And they took somebody from the middle level. And that was Gareth Roberts. And then they took somebody from the lower level. And that was me. And I think the grade three, because I would have had my grade three by then. And because they'd seen that, I'd passed my, I passed the test, passed it, and then I came on the foundation. I'm pretty sure I was going to pass the grade three anyway. Yeah. Then they invited me to this thing. I was like, yeah, jolly in the, Jolly in Austria, that sounds great. <laughs> so I went out on that, and, and <laughs> the whole thing was sort of calibration. And then they're sending down, there's only three non X racers doing it, and it's the three people from Basie, right? <laughs> <laughs> so God knows, I, I think there might have been some confusion about what this event was, but um, <laughs> we go down, and it was good of them to let us do it because they wouldn't let you on the calibration nowadays. Yeah. But anyway, they let us do it. Basically, say, we just want to see how it matches with our kind of level. And uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, they, they, they didn't accept it actually. Like, I, I, got, I got past time on both runs, yeah. that, and they didn't accept it. I was like, well, it doesn't matter, I'll just go and do it up to us in a month or two, so, which is what I did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty funny that. So that was the forerunner to that calibration. Do, do I understand it right? That was the forerunner to when they were creating the Eurotest? Yeah. Yeah, so it was running exactly, well, not exactly the same. I don't know how they've changed. They will have changed it a little bit, but they had the Austrian A team there who were obviously setting the standard to then be able to calibrate all the all the openers. Okay. And, you know, the openers for us were, were people like Ross Green, Mark Tilston, yeah. and, and then all the, all the French craftsmen, so the X-Racers men who were doing it, and the Italians, and plus me, Hugh, and Gareth. oh so okay so it's fair to oh wow so you did the original euro test the very first one or even the forerunner to it it wasn't it wasn't a euro test because that's what i said you know i I then i then asked you know i asked the dgs if i could therefore become a stagiaire and they're like no it wasn't a euro test calibration (laughs) okay okay uh all right i'll do it again yeah which which i did which was cool and then and then actually the, the, the thing about the Eurotest, um, the bad thing about the Eurotest is passing it because, you know, if you enjoy training and you kind of have a great time skiing, get better, and you just, it's just fantastic, fantastic times. Uh, and then you pass it and, and you go and you have to stop and, and you find yourself on the nursery slope and doing snowplow and things like that, which is rewarding in its own way. Yeah, but yeah. You, you definitely stop working on your own skiing. Um, quite quickly that's, that's, a, that's a bit of a shock well this is it's funny this is why I created the podcast like this podcast was because of exactly that so I popped out the, the top of the Swiss system and I was like well I, I still like to learn new stuff you know once one um, one one CPD or, or whatever you call it um, CP in, in, in French uh, every two years is not going to kind of you know a bit of a ski about and Zermatt is not really going to cut it for me 
you know, I'm interested in, in continuing to learn more about this industry that we're all in, right? And, uh, and, and I couldn't find anything, couldn't, couldn't find anyone who was offering kind of anything other than level four training or Eurotest training. And I was like, well, yeah. is it like, is it nothing? Like really, there's, there's nothing, you know, I would have loved to have, I don't know, done any, look, uh, what would it have been? I, you know, I'd love to go and ski with some, uh, I don't know, a course run by some amazing bump skiers or something, learn something there or something like that, you know, something just different and new. And, uh, and I couldn't find anything. So I thought, all right, well, I'll, I, maybe I'm not the only person in this situation. I'll create something and I'll, I'll hunt down all of these vastly experienced people and kind of get them on record and just have a chat with them and see, see you know, what they've got to say. And every one of these, I come out and I learn something, something new. It's really interesting to me. It's not, it's, yeah, not, yeah. Yeah, it's not technical, you know, like I'm not on snow with someone doing it, but it's, you know, for me, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. It's a really uh, it's disappointing to get to the end of the road, isn't it? And to, to think, well, I've learned so much. How can I? How can I stop learning now? And mm. but I think that is probably well. That is the case. I think I've worked really hard to to find new things to learn. There's loads of stuff on the teaching side, mm. obviously. But I think it's a bit daunting to dip into. Um, I got like, my my best mate um, in the world has left skiing full-time and has gone and become a sports coaching lecturer and he's working towards his uh, he's working towards his doctorate now mm-hmm. in Cross uh, University and what he's learning you know I don't only get any glimpse to it and I don't understand most of it mm. is uh, it's fantastic you know it's really open his eyes to stuff and I, I you know I think it's I think it's quite hard to tear yourself away from the mountains you know he's at the tear himself away from the mountains yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. He's, now, he's now a lecturer he's a lecturer in sports coaching mm. Um, and, and so that's that's an avenue that's possible, uh, but it's not easy, and it becomes quite academic very quickly. Mm, mm. Uh, and in terms of in terms of the language that's used and the and the background knowledge that's assumed, and uh, so when Paul sends me papers that he says, "Are oh, you interested in this?" I don't have that, and so it's really hard to digest. Yeah, yeah, I can well imagine. So is that then what led you, so you pop out the top of the Bayesian system, is that is that what then led you into the, the, the trainer world then? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Certainly that's, um, that's why I've kept being a trainer for so long because that's what it gives me. It gives me the ability to keep developing myself. Um, it gives me interest in, in lots of different ways. Uh, and one of them is certainly kind of professional development and seeing what other systems might do, what the Bayesian system is doing, uh, and knocking around with people who who are interested in that stuff as well. And um, yeah, it's great. But, but I'm lucky, you know, and to be a Bayesian trainer is a you know it's a position um, that you have to apply for and you have to be accepted and then you have to be retained and all of that. But it's a privilege to be in that position. And there's lots of people. Who, who maybe would want to do that, and there isn't enough space for everyone to do it. Mm. So I appreciate that I'm privileged to, to be in that position. Mm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I love it. I mean, to, why did I become a basic trainer? Probably, you know, it was a it was a long time ago, and actually, it was, it was kind of uh, it probably wasn't as well thought out. That it was much more. Well, I think there's this course to be a basic trainer. Why not? I'll just go and do that. You know, it, I was pretty young. 
uh, you know, early 20s, mid-20s, and just going, well, yeah, that's, if that's something else to do, I'll go and do it. Um, so the train selection was one of those things. And I remember going and doing a Canadian race coaching course, a level level two and level three Canadian race coaching course. You know, it was there, it was available. I had free time. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go and do that. So I did my level three Canadian stuff, and that was really interesting. Um, mm. But it, was, it wasn't really as a as a career path or as a way to thinking, you know, oh, you know, in 10 years' time, I'm going to be getting so much out of this from doing this. It was more, more just kind of a, uh, exuberance of enthusiasm, I think, to just keep on doing stuff. Yeah, 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 with you. Well, that's uh, there's something for someone out there then. So uh, whoever you are, set up uh, CPDs for people who have... <laughs> <laughs> run out of things or not run out of things to learn but have kind of you know have no pathway to follow anymore and they're still interested in learning whoever you are um yeah it could be interesting to do kind of cpds like that bumps would be amazing if you get some bump skiers in uh, yeah. you get some uh, bump cpd the thing with it is getting it is getting it um, signed off so you actually get the points for it yeah and then, and, and then the other thing is getting people to sign up for it because yeah, lots of people say they're interested in this stuff, but then getting people to sign up for it is really hard. It's really hard. Like I, um, yeah. a few, a couple of years ago, um, I pushed, I pushed Bayesley a little bit in order to put on a an EMS. So uh, you know what EMS is? It's mm. the um, it's the top level mountain safety qualification, European mountain safety qualification. Yes, and it's the same level for the British system and the and the Italian and the and the French. I don't know if it's in the Swiss or not. Uh, they have obviously their own version, but it's apparently equivalent. So, okay. So, so when when I came through the system, the EMS or the second level of the mountain safety didn't exist, and so we got grandfathered in. Mm. So, okay, you guys come through before we needed to do it. You don't need to do it. You don't ever need to do it. Here's your qualification, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, anyway, so it, it, this has been nagging me for for a couple of years, thinking, hang on, I mean, I've got this. I've got on my license. It's just written on my license. It's, it's written without EMS on my license. I think that's the nature of things when you become a full cert, isn't it? Then you become busy, like you're really busy, and you're sort of then in the the, the more in the kind of the the business realm of, of 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 the ski world, you know, because you're trying to make the living that you've spent all that money on training to get there. Um, you know, you're making that money back and stuff, and and you're right, you know, to kind of have a a, a sort of collective, you know, a collective, you know, just general. What would you call it? Almost like a training meetup or something you know like that, that that's the kind of vibe that i was thinking i wonder if we could just kind of yeah you know get together a whole it doesn't matter what system you're in where you're qualified through or anything like that you know it's general meetup ideas swap and 
you know, how do you know how do you ski bumps? How do you ski bumps? Oh, it doesn't have bumps. It could be anything, right? How do you ski off piece? How do you ski piece? Like you know, and I suppose to a certain extent, that's what inter ski is. But not everyone has yeah. a has a chance to go to inter ski, and that information doesn't always flow down, you know, into the organisations and, and into the, sort yeah. of the general membership. Um, Actually, loads of people. You can go to inter ski just as a normal. As a normal delegate, you don't have to be. You need to be attached to a nation, but um, you know the, the Finnish always take a whole load of people. There's loads of people that are not part of the um, the interski delegations that go and and go to these workshops. So it's possible. Oh, is that true? Um, I thought it was a closed shop. No, there's definitely there's definitely people going that aren't on the teams. Ah, oh, okay. I'm going to put that on my my list then. Things to do. Um, because that, because I'm not, I'm, ne- <laughs> I'm never going to make the Swiss inter ski team. Uh, <laughs> not, not, they've got a few useful skiers in their uh, in their thing, so maybe I'll just have to go as a as a tourist, which is fine by me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a pretty amazing event. That you got to pick your you got to pick your stuff carefully. Not carefully, but you got There's so much available that you, you it's really hard to see all of it. Yeah. So you go there. You don't come away with an idea of what everyone's doing. You get an idea of what some people are doing, and you probably take your prejudices with you. And with those prejudices, that's what you ch- you choose who to go and see. Yeah. And there'll be some some interesting stuff that you just you just don't even know is going on. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Right, I'm going to put that on my put that on my to do list for something. So, so you arrived. So you came to Teen. You did your your thing, and you stayed there ever since. You haven't been kind of anywhere else around the Alps. You just you've fallen in love with the the Tarantes Valley. Uh, yeah, I went over to the, I moved over to Alvesere and started working for English in two in Alvesere, and then I became I became full cert, and actually a couple of my best mates then went over to. Cushevel, um, and we started working over there for New Generation. Okay. And so, so once I become full full cert, I did a season in New with New Generation in Cushevel in yeah. sixteen fifteen, um, which was which was great. Um, but I didn't enjoy the skiing as much. I didn't enjoy the village as much. And so I did a season over there and came back to Balbazet. Okay. And when we came back to Balbazet, that's when that's when the four of us set up the development centre for Tuxi Ski, and we went from there. Now, what what prompted you guys to go out? This is a good segue into into your business. So let's talk about it. What what, what prompted you to go, the four of you, to kind of do your own thing? What was the uh, what was the driving behind that? It was, it was wanting to have a bit more control, I suppose, of our day. It was wanting to have a bit more control of our of, of our of our type of work and how we organise our work. Hmm. That was it. So, um, you know, we didn't want to be doing eight hours a day. We didn't want to be backing up one lesson after the next mm. and we want to be able to choose which level of work or type of work we were going to be doing and and essentially that, that's it it was about it was about making it nice for us yeah um, structure so that we could you know because we we um you know if you work at a bigger ski school and you want to put the hours in you, you really can and you can knock out i remember i knocked out over 800 hours yeah one season but I suppose it's a realization that you can't do that, and and that's kind of stay stay physically and mentally healthy. I think. Well, that that's for sure. It's funny, you know. I can't. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think anyone can. I know guys that do it year in year out, but then they you know they live on the beach the rest of the time. But yeah, you know, 
and we'll get onto this later, I think there's a kind of a bigger, there's a bigger picture, isn't there, about kind of why we're all here and out here in this environment. And, you know, this, this I mean, today, what, today and yesterday? It's probably the first two days I've had off since I can remember. And I'm kind of, I'm not, I don't want to do that all the time. I'm doing it this season because this season's a weird season. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to be a bit like what you're you're saying is I want to pick and choose the lessons that I do um, without kind of getting into that kind of relentless, you know, just bashing out the hours. Because I think it jades you a little bit for the for, for, for what skiing is. And you can kind of, you very quickly lose lose the love of, of why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess if I talk you through the kind of things that we did, you know, we said, well, we're only going to do two sessions a day. One's going to be in the morning, one's going to be in the afternoon. So what that means is that we get a lunch break, so we're fresh in the afternoon. So actually it's good for us, but it's good for our clients as well. Yeah. Um, but we're always going to be on time because there's no excuse for being late. Mm-hmm. If you're backing up lessons, you're always you're either early or late. You're, you're, you're on time. Yeah. Um, and so the client gets a better experience too. So... That's kind, of, that's kind of why we did it. So, 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 talk me through that just from the logistics. So, you do what three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon at, at, yeah. at most? That's, that's, that's our typical stuff. You know, we've, over the years, then we've, we've worked on other stuff. So, for example, off piece stuff now, um, you know, three hours is a little tight for some of the stuff that some of the, some of the instructors want to be doing mm-hmm. and some of the clients want to be doing. So, actually, it's possible to stretch that to a four hour morning. Okay. And, um, and then a three-hour afternoon, and then and so then the instructor only gets a half-hour lunch break, which is okay. They've got to be aware of that, so that's now possible mm-hmm. that we do that. But yeah, our kind of standard standard stuff is still three and three. Okay. Um, and it, you know, it's pretty bad. It means you can't. It means you can't do uh, that many hours, which sometimes is a bit of a problem. It's, it's the instructor who really wanted to, to do loads and loads of hours. Well, okay. Uh, standard hours for us is six hours a day yeah but there's I mean if you really really want to get through the hours there's other places you can work right like you know that's if, if, if the organisation that you're working for supports that then you go for it by all means but you, you yeah. know like you say there's there's a I, I, I'm kind of I, uh, with with the ski school here what I'm trying to do really is focus more on I'd say like the quality rather than than delivering just like volume I don't want to be I, I don't want to be a sausage machine you know and actually I think I think there are people out there who can deliver that quality and back it up back to back to back day after day after day but I think they're rare I think, <laughs> I think, I think most people get tired most yeah. people need a little bit of a break most people need to have you know we, we try and encourage people to have a day off as well and, and that's about having quality of life for the instructor but also quality of products for the client mm. you know it's important when um, well, in the final part of the um, the Swiss instructor system you, you in the same way as, as, as the British or maybe all the, all the systems have this but you have to do a, a sort of dissertation and um, I did mine on, on fatigue in ski instructors throughout a season and and, um, and the effects on the body of kind of relentlessly skiing at altitude hour after hour after hour you know days after days after days no breaks you know that kind of stuff and and it's really it's interesting to 
to see all the evidence that's out there of what happens to us, uh, you know, by doing that that work relentlessly. And a lot of my recommendations right. in that report were, you know, that people need to have a day off, people need to kind of, you know, look after themselves in terms of their nutrition, in terms of their sleep, that kind of stuff. All the things that kind of... Uh, I don't, want to, I don't want to generalize, but all the things that, you know, like your sort of young raw instructor would want to do, you want to party every night, wouldn't feed himself very well, you know, try and do loads of hours and, and eventually something's got to give, right? You know, there's, there's, um, there's that old saying in ski resorts, you know, you can work, you can party and what was the other one? Uh, I can't remember, but you can't have all three, you know, like, yeah. you, you know, something has to give. Key. Yeah, exactly. And something's got to give. So it's, uh, for me, you know, I'm not following my own advice this season and I'm suffering accordingly. You know, back hurts, tired, you know, irritable, that kind of stuff. And, and it's, I, yeah, I, you know, you can notice that the younger guys can do it a little bit more. They've got a bit more natural energy. But I can see even there at the moment, those guys are a little bit tired, you know. And um, it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. It's difficult to manage that balance, I think. Yeah, well, I think I think it's true. Well, send me send me through that. Um, what you wrote, I'd be interested to read it. Yeah, I'll, I'll dig it out. It's in French, but uh, I, I I think you're you're bilingual, so uh, I'll dig it out, and send it over. Um, yeah, I've been I've been working on my French reading. I've been reading novels this summer in French. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite gone there. Do you know what I'm really into at the moment? It's, it's terrible. It's like a real guilty secret. So I I I'm I'm now into. Novel number fifteen. I only, I've never read fiction before ever. I only read factual stuff. But now I'm on book fifteen of the Jack Reacher series of like yeah. trashy okay. airport novels, and I just can't put them down. Like I don't like as soon as I finish one, I'm like bang straight into the next one. Like, it's really really bad. So that's my uh, that's, yeah. How many are there? There's like twenty eight. <laughs> it's it yeah. But yeah, so that's uh, there you go. That's my confession for this uh, this podcast. Um, I told you. <laughs> thank you. I hope you're enjoying this episode with uh, with Charles. Um, I very much enjoyed making it and he's a lovely guy to uh, to talk to. Um, I wanted to thank everybody who's uh, listening to this uh, this podcast. We've just gone past, or this episode will take us past 45,000 downloads of uh, this podcast, which is pretty amazing for something that I just started for my own amusement. Um, whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you very much for, for, for downloading it. I'm humbled that you're interested in, in hearing you know my ramblings and uh, and and the chat from my guests, but it's really the guests that make it um, make it what it is. Um, had some further correspondence this week, um, which I'm going to read out to you. This one is from Ian Martin. Now, Ian Martin, if you don't know him, he runs the another podcast called the Ski Podcast, which is um, slightly more kind of tourist gear focused. It's not specialised as, uh, as as this one. Um, but Ian got in touch, especially in, in, in relation to Toby's uh, episode about um, Verbier. And um, he said um, it was 
uh, quote, it was outrageous the way that the newspapers around the world, particularly in the UK, reported the great escape from Verbier. Um, ridiculous stories such as this bring an industry that's already uh, on its knees into dispute thanks to their lies. Um, it's tough enough for the UK ski industry as it is uh, with the lockdown in place until the end of February at the earliest. That looks like it's going to... Um, it's going to extend also, that's my commentary on there. Um, he continues, uh, the best we can hope for as it stands is now perhaps the inverse of last season when we get to ski late March and April and not at all before. Uh, fingers crossed for a better result than that, but I'm not optimistic. Um, so thanks Ian, I really, really appreciate you getting in touch um, uh, with that commentary. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the whole Verbier thing and um, the, the, the press in particular and, and some elements of the ski press also um, I think are, are really how do you say that they're really dishonest when they uh, when they report certain things. Um, they're always looking for the kind of sensational angle I suppose. No one reports good news anymore and it's just it's just another reason why people just don't you know, tuning out in massive numbers out of mainstream media, um, and uh, and that seems to be well, it seems to be my experience, and I've I've more or less turned off any, you know reading any kind of mainstream media, and my life is much better as a result. So um, there you go. Um, back to Giles Giles's interview. Um, part two is the real where the real kind of magic comes in for this episode. So um, I mentioned to you earlier, he's one of the best bump skiers that I've I've ever seen live. Um, you know, guy skiing with real freedom and and creativity in in bumps and um we have quite an extensive chat in this part two about that um so that's that's the real kind of golden nuggets in uh, in in this particular episode um we also touch on working in val and and also his involvement with the local rugby club and uh, and yeah so uh enjoy this um this second half um i'm going to put in the um right at the end you'll see that you'll hear that um giles mentioned something about him being featured in the latest Basie 4 um, Moguls videos um, or, or Levels videos. Um, so I'll include a clip, uh, I'll include uh, the link to those in the uh, in the podcast notes. So uh, enjoy the second half um, and I will catch you on the next episode. So we we met on uh, one of my failed Bayesi Level Four uh, exam attempts, and I'm actually it's funny, you know, like it, it, I don't know how this this is like cosmic timing, or Facebook is listening to me, one of the two. But I'm looking at a picture on my screen here of a pair of skis that I trashed on that exam. Um, the head, the head. The, no, I, I came back. So this is a thing. I had this pair of Dina Star skis that I really really liked, and. Um, we were skiing some oh, I'm say variable terrain. I hit a rock and absolutely finished this pair of skis. Like they were you know, gone. And I really liked those skis and I skied well on them. And the only backup pair that I brought were this kind of horrible pair of like head GS skis that I didn't really like at all. Anyway, didn't work out for me. I skied pretty well that week, but it wasn't wasn't enough. And um but that's how we that's how we met. And I remember having, yeah. you know, many interesting kind of lift rides and chatting with you and stuff like that but uh um 
the thing that kind of stood out the most for me, well, apart from those kind of philosophical chairlift chats, <laughs> was was, um, was was the the, the bump skiing that that you put on show for that week, and I kind of I kind of you know I'm, I'm what I'm saying is that probably it was a display of some of the best bump skiing that I've ever seen in my life, and it it was a certain sort of mastery over the bumps that you had that was really really interesting to me because it looked like it wasn't the kind of the standard crashing down a zip line stuff that that you know Basie's famous for it was more like a, it more it looked more to me like a guy who had kind of mastery over his time and movements in the in that place and I mean, is is what I wanted to ask you was more about that in general. Like you skied, I'm guessing quite a lot of bumps when you were you were younger. Uh, well, thanks, Dave. I'm pushing. <laughs> well, well, you should be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I skied quite a lot of bumps when I was younger, I suppose. Um, I mean, on those family ski holidays, I always used to we always used to ski the bumps. You know, is what you did, wasn't it? It was on. Yeah, you skied the piste a little bit. The off piste really wasn't what it is now in terms of marketing and in terms of accessibility mm. and all that stuff. And that's partly the well, that's mostly down to equipment. I think you know the, um, the wider skis means we can access stuff off the side of the piste a lot better. Yeah. And then when I, when I did my first season, you know there was these this bunch of people who were training slalom gates, and then all the all the kind of uh, I don't, want to use, I don't want to use the word uh, ski bumps. I, I, I'm going to call them, you know, kind of long-term season airs, which is what they are. They're people that have decided to stay there for like, five years, six years, seven years. Yeah. Amazing skiers. Amazing skiers. And they go and ski bumps. Um, and so there was, there was this whole cultural thing of skiing bumps, which um, which really doesn't exist anymore. It's kind of held on to by a bunch of old people like me. But <laughs> there's a lot of people that I was there that were into bump skiing. I, I, I never, I never really hung out with them to ski bumps, but you kind of saw saw them doing it. You know, Alex, Alex Pape and uh, Graham uh, would be two people that were out there the whole time just doing it. And that that kind of fits into the Boston Boss um, and uh, events like that. I know Zermatt's uh, got a pretty big bump scene still, that's kind of hanging on. I mean, it's all nostalgic nowadays, but mm. you know, back in the days, it, it was it was kind of nostalgic, but it was still pretty serious. Mm. Um, People doing that, um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I, it was it was partly it was partly so that's what we did. I, I, I never kind of set out hard to, to ski bumps and train bumps, um, but you know, with skinny skis, that's what you did. Go ski bumps, and you know, when you're young and young and elastic, <laughs> young elastic and, and reasonably athletic, you you can do it, and, it, and it's just you know, it's cool. It's really cool. I think, and especially, I've had a few, there's some amazing bump skiing on level fours, and especially in Valdezier where we've got like S bumps. Yeah. The S bumps is like a kilometre of bumps um, on a reasonably steep gradient, uh, 35, 35 degrees probably, and it funnels into this gully. And and once they've got, when they've got soft snow on them and they're nice and friendly, it's just it's just amazing. Mm. Um, you, can, you can kind of do you only need to do one run in there and, and you've got more more bumps practice in there than you'd get on five runs on most pitches of bumps. Um, yeah, 
is yeah. is that is that where you we were going on that exam? I'm a bit ignorant of um, Valdezer scheme, but there was kind of off. There was a big steep piece that we used for a lot of uh, long long turns, and then there was a kind of big thing off the left that yeah. had loads of bumps in there. I mean, it was just yeah, like you say, it's a proper paradise, you know. And you you know a really really long long run with like no you know no way out either. Like, <laughs> like yeah, once you're in, you're in. Yeah. You're in. You're in, and that's it. Yeah, and, and actually. One one thing with that course, running that course on that lift, we can use the piece there to do our longs and our shorts, mm. and then we can use the same the same lift to go around and do bumps, and that's a big part of the course content is that. Yeah, and it's just exhausting because the lift is so quick. Yeah, yeah. That you, we can get around, and we just um, there's a real danger of smashing people physically, mm. um, bef- kind of before the end of the week. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those things that we need to keep an eye on, uh, and probably sometimes we do it better than other times. Yeah, I'm with you. One of the things I think, because I never, as I was coming up through various through the various systems, like they was was that that I always found bumps really difficult. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not very. Um, you know, you've met me. I'm not very elastic. I'm kind of a big long block, uh, and I don't. Um, I could never see it, you know. But as I got more, and as I spent more and more time in it, in bumps, like actively seeking them out and going and skiing them, you start to see. You start to see the lines, right? That's the first thing I think is once you see the lines. And the ways of the different ways of skiing them, I think that's that's kind of part one, and then maybe part two is kind of right. Okay, I see the lines, but now there's certain movements that I need to be able to make, and I need to appreciate that it's probably a little bit backwards compared to regular piece skiing. You know, like you're you're compressing where you would normally extend, blah blah blah. You know that that kind of thing, and then after that, there's like a level, like a third level where you reach. And I'm not anywhere near, you know, maybe there's a fourth level. You'll tell me that you're, you, you know, is where you're operating <laughs> in. But um, but you start to be able to play with it. And you then you start to appreciate that there's the kind of, I don't know, the, the way that I describe it sometimes to clients is like it's a little bit like, um, how would I say, like free form kind of jazz, right? So it's not like... <sighs> Come on, come on, come on, get your think, thoughts in order. It's not like a sort of relentless dance music track like you would compare, say, short turns to, right, where it's just constant. In yeah. moguls, it's a bit more freeform. So you, you might make, you know, you might you, if you're talking about sounds, like you might make some sounds that are quite quick and then you might make some long sounds and then you might make, you know, it might change again. Yeah. And it's just yeah. a bit more kind of open, you know, and I find... Um, I've, I've really started, it's the thing that I like to do the most now. And if, if I'd have said that to you 10 years ago, like I would be lying, absolutely. But it's the thing that I seek out now more than anything. It's like, oh, there's some nice bumps over there. Let's go and see them. Let's go and play in there. Right. It's so yeah. nice. Like it's, it's, it's really, it's really a funny thing. Is it, how do you think of them when you're in them? Well, um, when, when I'm in them, I, I don't, I don't particularly try and pick a line very far ahead of myself. You know, it'd be one bump, two bumps maybe. Um, yeah, I'm certainly not trying to plan very far, and I think that's that's part of it. I, I, I like the way you structured how you kind of 
get yourself into the bumps and how you see it and you go through those stages. Uh, and certainly, you see people who are trying to make the same movement, the same thing on every on every single bump, and that's really only possible in a manufactured bump line you mm. know, or a rut line. Yeah. And they're, they're much, for me, they're much less interesting than an open set of bumps. You know, even if the open set of bumps are huge, you know, there's still some variety of line that you can achieve in that. Mm. And, and when I when I see the bumps, yeah, I, I just um, well, the bumps have got to be nice, right? So if they're huge, they've got to be soft. If the, the spacing's got to be quite good, I suppose. Um, but I, I think the thing that I think when I'm skiing a bumps run for me, when I'm not trying to demo something, it just doesn't matter. I can pretty much take on any any line that's there, and if the line isn't there, I mess it up. Or I'll probably get away with that as well. So that and that's a, probably a big confidence thing, I think, for my. Bump schemes. I'm just not scared of of, uh, of any kind of consequence. I suppose I'm not talking about being stupid and trying to go too fast. Mm. But I'm just not scared of making a mistake because I can just bail myself out one way or another. Uh, you know, just use a whole load of grunt or I'll put a jump in or something like that, and that, that gets me out of trouble all the time. And it means I don't have to worry about where my line's going because I just I just find myself somewhere and be able to deal with it. And I think that's quite a long way down the line in terms of how you, you can't start off there. You have to start off somewhere else. Mm. You, have to start off, you have to start off looking at, okay, how's this, how's, how's this bump performed? What are the possible movements? Where can I make a turn? Where can I control my speed? And, and doing that in an open bumps field is, is a slow process because they've changed so much. So it's almost better to be starting off uh, in a bumps field that is much more uniform and you can maybe ski the inside line and you turn on the you turn on the pole every time, then inside line and inside line. Try and do that as much as you can. Mm. And then another set of bumps where you can ski an outside line all the way around. Um, and then another set of bumps where, I don't know, maybe you go on the top or you come onto the ridge or something like that. But it's the combination of these tactical choices and then having the technique to match to them. And, and within kind of one bump, you can make three or four of those different lines just on one single bump and then you've got to link that together all the way down for how many turns 50 turns or something or 50 bumps mm. that's that's what makes it such a challenge to learn but such a joy to do i suppose is, is that you don't really know what you're going to need even in the next half a second because it depends how you how you manage to execute the one that you're on and there's always going to be a bit of a surprise yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure if that answers your question. No, no. I mean, I, I think anything that we add to this, because I think it's it's so interesting to have this technical conversation. Because there's not many people, like you say, there's not many people. I wouldn't say do it anymore, but there's not. You know, like it's quite it's quite an old school thing. You know, bumps are disappearing everywhere. Um, the, the the two things that I wanted that, that came out of that, which I thought was quite interesting. One of the things that really helped me to kind of really appreciate the 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 movements and this might be useful you never know someone who's struggling with bumps or something you know uh, during their ski instructor's exams one of the things that i found was somewhere in sas down the bottom of one of the the the, the fist piece on the left someone had made like a fairly shallow zip line not too intimidating and you've got to seek these things out right you've got to see them and kind of jump in them and, and see but that I said I must have gone around that ten times, you know, to really try and really understand the movement on a fairly narrow slope, and to see yeah. where the opportunities were to take speed off, 
you know, where you could put a check in or where you could hit the face of a bump or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also did that and then I took myself to a snow dome. Someone was running a bumps course there. I think it was Andy, Andy from Warren Smith. I've forgotten his surname. Um, and did an indoor one there. So it was completely manufactured bumps. Again, same thing, like not, not open field bumps, more like here's a line, try to stay in it and then just get the movement pattern right. That's one of the, yeah. that was one of the things that, that really really helped me in my development towards kind of learning to love it. And then, yeah. um, and then the other thing that I've really noticed, I think, and, and you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about skiing a big field of bumps, is that each bumps field or set of bumps, it can even be more um, broken down than that. But each field has its own, almost like a speed limit, you know, where, where the bumps come. Um, in a manageable way. So if you try to ski them too fast, it doesn't match with what the bumps are giving you. This sounds like I sound like such a hippie here, but what what <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you've got to tune in to what yeah, the yeah. speed is for that given end that yeah. given place. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think I think on on any bumps field, whether you know it could be speed, but it could be line. So like you say about training bumps, you know go and find a really uniform set of bumps. They can be manufactured, actually, but really decently spaced or kind of half-sized bumps in an open field. And then practice a particular line, whether that's the inside line, whether that's a rounded outside line, whether that's going over the top, whether that's smashing through the soft, whether it's having a check on the check on the top or a check on the ridge. You know, you, you can kind of force that onto a, an intermediate set of bumps. And then you take those you know, it's movements, but it's it's skills as well. You know, it's the edging skills, it's, it's everything else. It's the timing of all of those movements that are really important. And if you can practice those enough so that you've got, you know, those four or five approaches, then you can go to a set of, a, big, a slightly bigger set of bumps, if you like. Yeah. And those bigger set of bumps, it's not just the speed that's, that there's going to be a, a speed where it's easy to see those bumps and then there's going to be a speed which, which is making it harder. Yeah. But it's also matching those lines to the open bumps. So, in an open set of bumps, there's going to be a there's going to be a bump where actually you can't do a rounded line on it. It's really hard to do a rounded line, mm. so don't bother. But this one's set up to go straight and have a really late check into the face of the bump. Mm. Do that. Then this next one, you've got these big smiley bumps, you know, coming all the way across four meters across the this, these kind of South Asian kuas, and you set up kind of a big smiley a smiley bump, and that's that's just like your perfect rounded line, and you're causing yourself a disservice or you make yourself harder for yourself if you don't try and match your turn to what the bump's showing you is, is the easiest thing to do. So there is, you're right, there's these two things to to do is to have the ability to, to ski them, have the ability to ski all these different lines and then be able to read the bumps coming up to you and go, okay, this type of turn, this type of speed control method is going to be easier on this particular bump than another one doesn't mean the other one's not possible but it's mm. just that this is how it's set up and that's about reading bumps yeah, but yeah. it's not it's necessarily like I said earlier on it's not necessary it's really rare to be able to read a set of bumps all the way down because you end up just getting lost and, and not being where you thought you were going to be and that can be a distraction mm. um, mm. where you set off and you do the first couple of bumps and actually are way further than you thought and so you're thinking that you're going to be able to do you know smash smash into the face of them and get some speed control from that it's just not going to happen. So you've got to, you've got to change and, and use something else to control your speed, 
whether that's um, whether that's the rounded line or whether that's kind of a bit of sneaky skid or or a bit of inside line. Mm. Okay. The um, those bumps that, that that you have in Val d'Isere, do they? <sighs> Do they have a, a we we've got obviously that we've got the Swiss wall here right not very far from me uh, the the the, the Chavanet. and um, what that often has because so many tourists ski it um, is that you know you might get three four five six you know nice moguls in a way in in a in a line or a, a sort of something that you can work with and all of a sudden there's like a big sort of a, what would you call it, like a ridge where everyone's kind of bailed out and just put a huge right. like you know, horizontal line across the piece. You're like, well, where does this come from? Really, really strange. But you get that on the on the on the slightly steeper ones, or well, certainly do on the wall because people are just kind of there's a lot of traversing goes on on the wall rather than, than four line skiing. You know, um, yeah. it becomes better lower down, but the wall is the wall at the, the, the kind of the higher higher part of it is 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 yeah, it's full of big traverses in it. In do we get that? Do we get that in Valdezier? Yeah, I was going to say in the in you know in the in the bumps field you like to ski. Do you get that sort of you know big horizontal line across, or, or are they kind of left no, alone? Not really, because uh, no, not really, because I mean people people come down that run and, and other runs, uh, and they know it's a bumps field. You know, it looks like a bumps field from the top, and they they kind of give it a wide berth if they don't really want to ski it. It mm. doesn't get skied really. It bumps up pretty slowly. The S. I mean, there's other bumps runs as well. Around some stuff in Fournay as well, um, but we never get kind of one line that bails out. And you know that S one that we get, uh, it gets it gets funneled into the valley at the bottom, and so they, they tend to get bigger at the bottom, so they can start off quite nice at the top. Yeah, and then they they get into the the bit in the forest and yeah. they're tight. Those kind of double in size. Yeah, I do. I do. I do remember some of those troughs are pretty big for those uh, those enormous yeah, yeah. GS skis that I was skiing. So, <laughs> fair enough. Ah, uh, cool. And then, and then and then it goes into a position where instead of having a choice of line, there really isn't a choice of line. Then there's only one line that's going to work on that bump because it's the side of the house. Yes. And, um, yeah. And it's got really steep sides to it, so there's only really one option for it. And unless, and unless you can work that option, that particular tactic, so unless you've got that technical skill you're not going to be able to make your run float through mm. that section yeah 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 well I, I do remember that that being the case when we were there and, and kind of we, we that middle section was kind of so extreme at that point that, that we kind of we you know that was taken out of of the assessment it's like oh no we'll assess you on the top because the bumps there are kind of you know proper bumps but in the middle section it was just a case of like you know get through it as best you can, and then uh, and then we'll have another look down the bottom section. Um, yeah, and I think I think you know I think we try and be fair. There, you know, I'm, I'm not you know I've done I've run a lot of level fours. You know, I'm not running. Uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm running any this year. But um, you know, it's about making sure that it is fair. Making sure that okay, it's a it's a challenge, but it's not supposed to be an impossible challenge. Mm. It's supposed to be, a, and it's not supposed to be. You kind of alluded to this earlier on, kind of a, a basic style of slapping your way down. Uh, a bumps field just kind of slamming with the heels. Yeah. You know, that's a um, way of skiing them on a very direct line. It's really, really physical. Mm. But I don't know. For, for me, that's not. It is skillful to do that, but it's also skillful to be able to do other stuff. And we need to show and encourage people to have skillful bump skiing, not just um, powerful bump skiing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I see that. Because the, the, I mean, the, it doesn't have to be that fast, you know. If you can make stuff really smooth, and you can make stuff really 
really nice. You know, it doesn't need to be super quick. And if you're going to go really quickly, there's going to be a few more mistakes in there. Mm. I think it's having understanding of bumps and appreciation of love of them even makes it easier to, to assess something like that yeah 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 no I, I remember someone said to me once if like if you can ski a mogul field if you and that really helps with the understanding actually like so you get in somewhere and ski it slow like slow as you can almost and then you really get the time for your brain to process the lines and the and and you know where, where you know decision directional decision choices that kind of thing um that 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 really really helps too uh, in like the development of the appreciation of, of being in a mogul field, you know. Um, yeah. What that leads us on sort of nicely then to, you know, Val d'Isère and the terrain because I've I've seen you kind of posting about this this a few times on social media and and, and just remember talking about it. But you you really love the terrain there, and I, I see you in all sorts of uh, kind of weird and wonderful places in the back country uh, is that is that sort of the direction that you're heading these days you want to get out and, and away for it all from it all <laughs> no, no. Oh. Uh, not, not really uh, you know well, I, suppose, I mean this season I'm pretty scared this season the, the, the snowpack's really unstable yeah it sure is you know, you've got a walk to get anywhere the rescue services is, is, is pretty limited at the moment mm. you know so certainly this year I'm, I'm not really wanting to go anywhere um, very far hmm. and on, on a normal season I don't know it's, it's part of it's, it's just part of what I enjoy about skiing I suppose hmm. it's that part of it but I'm, I don't want to kind of commit myself to to anything you know I think uh, you know I love the peace skiing I just love peace skiing I think it's amazing I think pulling calf turns on really firm peace um, not icy just firm hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> not icy just firm uh, you know, Bumski and all that. I love the whole spread of it. And, um, you yeah, know, there's people who do way more backcountry than me. There's people go and find some way more um, impressive places than, than I go to. But I, I do enjoy going and doing that. And I, I really enjoy kind of finding new places every year, even within Balbazer that I've been in for 20 years. Mm. I can still go to a place that I've not been to before and ski a slightly different line there or, or a totally new area. Um, which is what I've done over the past couple of years. And it's just so vast. Uh, and, and that's just the Valdezair teen area that's pretty much within the lift access. You know, if you start walking for a few hours, you can get to, to loads of places that I've not been to. Um, but no, I'm, I'm not kind of I'm not kind of ready to turn into a uh, just a just somebody who's seeking the backcountry mm. stuff yet and leave the technical stuff behind because I, I still love all the technical stuff. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's amazing too. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to stay. I'm trying to stay polyvalent. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how long I can manage it. Well, it's. I mean, the scale of that that area is just enormous. I mean, that that's that's one of the things that really struck me. I've, I've been over there a couple of times in the last two or three years, like heading over in the summer, actually on the on the bike over to uh, over to Italy, and I've gone over the um, what's it called, the Coldies around. And yeah. just like when you get to the top of there, you look around, it's just vast, 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 like, terrain. And as far as the eye can see, you know, it's just, it's just wild country. It's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, people, people are out there going and getting to all the corners of it. Um, you know, mountains, some mountain guys. 
uh, here and taking people over, over that place. You know, I, I like doing off-piste. I like, you know, taking clients off-piste uh, and ski-touring clients as well. But, you know, I'm certainly not um, trying to go down the extreme the extreme route. You know, it's not really, it's not really my thing. Yeah. Uh, to take people into, into extreme areas, you know, you, you build up a bit of trust with, with a particular person that you ski with quite a few times and, you, and you, you'll slowly develop that. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't want to be skiing off piece every day. I don't mind skiing off piece. Probably on a normal season, I'd probably be skiing. I don't know, a third to a half. A third to a half of my season would be off piece. Is uh, and, it, then, and then and then there'll be a fraction of that, which is the the really hard charging or the very technical steeper stuff. Is that is, what? What is your clientele that comes to you? What are they they looking for? Are you doing a bit of everything, or have you got a reputation for performance and back? Yeah, we, at the development centre, you know, we, we, we try and um, I think we've got a reputation. We certainly try and do technical stuff where people help people to get better at skiing, not just take them to take them to special places or find them the best snow, but actually help them to enjoy enjoy a little bit more if they're doing the off-piece stuff. And on the piece stuff, we've got, we got a really good background in, in um, teaching people who can already ski to get better, you know, so that, you know, they're not a beginner, but actually ski lessons can still be really enjoyable and improve your holiday by a, by a mile yeah. um, by getting ski lessons. And that's, that's where we start off, actually, we're starting off with the kind of intermediates and trying to take these intermediates off their plateau and get them to enjoy the kind of ama- the amazing feelings that you can get. You know, once you can once you can carve a one ski, for example, something like that, you know, it's not about carving. Mm. But being able to do that, being able to come down a, a steep black run and actually not just skid out and be scared, but actually feel control, be able to use the shape of the turn to control your speed, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, that's what we're... That's what we do a lot of. That's our kind of our kind of bread and butter. You know, the in, intermediate skiers who want to get better, and you know that kind of chimes with our market, which has always been a, an English speaking market, mm. uh, dominated by British people. And uh, you know, who who really do want to get better. Even even good skiers want to keep on getting better. And then you get you get some people in there who want to get better, and they want to go and do the off piece bit. And, and so we do that. We do that bit as well. But, uh, and there's some people, members of the team now who are much more into the backcountry than I am. You know, if I say that, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll do it uh, 50%, 50% of my time. Some of the other guys would be very happy to do it all the time, mm. you know, 80% of the time. Yeah. Uh, Is there, amongst the, the skiers that come as tourists, you know, the, the, the sort of the general peace skiers and stuff like that, is there is there certain uh, sort of commonalities that you see sort of time and again I mean the reason I asked this because I went through a phase I went through like a week about three weeks ago where I was just taught the same lesson over and over and over again and it was like oh my god <laughs> which one was it <laughs> it was I, I, can't, I can't remember right now but it was probably to do with steering the skis properly you know like finishing the turn off that kind of thing right, yeah. yeah a lot of heels yeah. a lot of heel skidding I'm just like oh my god I'm just, and it was it wasn't it, it, they weren't continuations of stuff I'd done before. It was just like every day presented with the same thing. I'm like, I just saw this yesterday. Just like a real run of, you know, run of uh, of, of things like that. It was really, really funny. Um, but I got to the end of that week and I was like, oh, my God, I don't think I've taught anything else, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get into a lot of stuff yeah. and you just happen to do that. But, you know, you, you know that's, that's going to change and you're going to end up with a, 
with a beginner and you'll be doing something totally different and, and that's the kind of joy of it. Yeah. And that's why that's why I like to have the variety in what I teach, you know. I don't I don't spend very many days on the nursery slope. I spend you know, maybe two or three days on a nursery slope every season. Mm-hmm. Some, some, I, might, I might even miss it out altogether, but it's not deliberately. It's just how the how the work comes in and how it gets allocated. But mm. I always look, you know, first day beginner or second day beginner, I'd be like, wow, this is cool. And they get better so quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And But, you know, to do that every day and to have a new set of beginners every day or every week, yeah, that's that's kind of why we set up uh, independently, so, so we can choose the level at which we we take people on. You know, so we, we do take beginners, but we take them on as privates. We don't set up we don't set up group classes for for that because if you set that up, you know, it's pretty easy to fill yourself up with that. Mm. And then that's all you, that's all you ever do, and you don't get a variety, and you, you kind of can lose the choice for it. I've still got the joy for beginners. I just love it. They're they're, uh, they're so funny. <laughs> they're so funny, and they get better. It's like, no, I love them. And it, there's, there's often nothing I love better than just pootling around on the beginner slope. You know, it's. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. But it's some. It, it, again, it, again, on the chairs, you know, like the, uh, you know, the, um, well, the magic carpets have, mm. have become so popular nowadays. You know, that getting on your first lift used to be, yeah, you know, used to be a drag lift, didn't it? it? Used to be a pommel lift. Yeah. And actually, that could be. That's right. Now yeah. with the magic carpets, actually, your first lift is probably on day one. Yeah. Whereas before you. Your first lift might have been on day three, mm. and before that, you're working up, you're walking uphill. Yeah, um, you know, side, side stepping uphill. So people are missing out on side stepping skills. That's a problem, but yeah, you know, we can deal with that. Um, but yeah, that first lift is now that. So now the first big lift is often a chairlift, isn't it? Well, I suppose yeah. it might be a bubble. It might be a bubble if you. Uh, it's not, yeah, in some place. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear that? Yeah. It's um. Well, yeah. The, bu- the, the demise of the bubble lift this season is 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 a oh. You know, resorts have been rushing to put in bubble lifts. Obviously, the you know, capacity and all that sort of stuff. And this year, no one wants to go in one. You know, like uh, we we work a lot in a, a little village called Morgan, and Morgan's served by this sort of three-person lift that was installed in like nineteen seventy-five, and it's never been so popular. You know, because everyone wants to be in the in the fresh air. And okay. you know, yeah. other places, you know, Villa, for example, where we go often is um, is served. You can only get to the ski area by train or uh, or bubble lift, and you know, it's just everyone's paranoid about it this season. It's really, um, it's really funny how that's turned. You know, everyone's kind of disappearing to the little resorts with little chairlifts and drag lifts and stuff like that. It's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Anyway, we said we weren't going to try and talk about flipping COVID. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, with with um, out away from skiing because this was this was kind of a lot of um, a lot of you know I think the idea is you chat about anything else other than skiing on the chairlift but uh, you're you're still I don't know whether you still play because this was at least five years ago but um, you're still involved in playing and coaching rugby there yeah both yeah just about just about hanging on my, my body's kind of falling apart in the ankle areas oh at the moment I, I, my ankles are really sore and, I, and uh, I don't know why but that's a really boring that's a really boring avenue to go down but yeah I mean we're, we're not able to play at the moment but I have been I have been playing uh, with the local, the local team uh, so I play with the adults and that's my kind of uh, that's my social life I just love, I just love that yeah uh, and then I coach the I coach the kids and we're such a small club and the coaches we've got those coaches but not always all all available so 
you know, I, I do coach the tens and the twelves and the fourteens, you know, not, with lots of help, but we, we mix around, um, and that's that's cool. Yeah, it's really good. It gets me gets me out in the community. Uh, you know, gets me to meet the kids. You know, my my boy, um, he's uh, he, he plays just about for the under fourteens. And I say I say just about because he's a skier. Oh, okay. He's a ski club. Right. And so when it comes to when it comes to the winter time, the rugby club loses all. Oh, we lose a good chunk of our players yeah. to ski clubs. So on a Saturday morning, they can't make it because they're skiing. Yeah, and so the rugby club goes really small. And what happens with um, with my my lads' uh, age group? That happened to them. They, they kind of got kind of half. Actually, there was a big group of them. It was like fifteen of them. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that they couldn't keep playing together. So we put that on now on a weekday evening. So the under 14s can now can now train. And they, they, a couple of them now play for Chambry. Oh wow! Okay, but they still they still train with us on a Tuesday night because Chambry's an hour and a half away. So they, they train with us on a Tuesday night, and then if, if they've got a tournament, they'll, they'll probably go and train with Chambry on a Friday night and play with Chambry on a Saturday. Yeah, uh, but they'll still they'll still train together. So we still got a group of kind of 13, 14, um, under fourteen and under sixteen who play together on a Tuesday night. Wow! And and that, that's going to make the link. I hope into the adult into the adult section so that once they get the under 18 days group they're going to be too big to play with the under 14 because a couple of under 12s come along for that as well yeah. and, and so then they come they can come and join the adult section and, and play the touch and stuff that we play there so it's trying to kind of link these things together and, and keep it going because it's really hard to keep keep the rugby going yeah so we've got you know we've got a foot of snow at 900 meters this year it doesn't always happen but no. it does really make it hard does the um, but but in I, I'm largely ignorant of this, but in France rugby is a winter game. I'm guessing. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah, so. the, season, yeah, the season is pretty much the same as the football season. I know. You, I know you're into football coaching. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It, it matches. Um, it matches the football season. Okay. Do they have a winter break though? Presumably as well. Like, uh, like they do here. Not, well, we do here, but only because there's snow on the ground. Because <laughs> they don't really. Yeah. They don't really. No, they keep going. They keep going all the way through, and then it, and then it's. It kind of stops pretty early. It stops. Um, it kind of stops in May. So for us, you know, the ski season, the ski racing season stops kind of mid-April. That's when all the clubs really, really pack down. So then we might get our we might get our players back um, maybe the last weekend in May, middle weekend in May. Yeah. And that's and that's exactly when the season stops. That's <laughs> all the tournaments <laughs> finish. Yeah. All the tournaments finish, and so we can't play any tournaments. But yeah, it's just how it is. We work with what we've got. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I enjoy it. And I've done, I've actually done the, um, what have I done? I've done a Brevet Federal in, uh, in rugby coaching now. So I've got, uh, wow. it's, a non- it's a non-professional qualification. It's just, you know, it's a ticket to say that I'm vaguely competent. At, um, <laughs> I'd say probably slightly more than vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely competent. But that was quite interesting as well. I mean, that was all, that was all messed up because it's been over the past few years. But, um, that was interesting. Quite, prog- quite, quite progressive. It's, uh, it's, it's good to see that it's, it's really progressive in terms of their coach education mm. on, uh, in France. Uh, so, you know, it's not about going out there and smashing people. It's not about just trying harder. And it's definitely not about getting knocked and picking yourself up and throwing yourself back into the next thing. It, it is about their welfare and protecting kids and, and actually just the joy of finding, finding space and Playing, playing a team sport. Yeah. Uh, that's a, having, a, having a puzzle, which is what the rugby rules are, having a puzzle that you've got to solve in order to 
move the ball over the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, well. Yes, I mean, I, I'm, uh, that's interesting. From what my vague sort of knowledge of, of French rugby, I thought it was just all about kind of uh, guys from the south, you know, big big brawlers and bruisers, and <laughs> and you know, you got smashed up every time you played. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's changed. Well, I think you know, there's, a, there's kind of a legend, isn't there? The legend of, of sports as well, and yeah. you know, I, I don't think you, I don't think you want to have that kind of legend die. Yeah. But I think I think that's pretty rare. You know, it still happens. You know, it still happens. We went on uh, we went on rugby tours to Malvern actually a couple of years ago with the with the adult section. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that that was an amazing time. Just the bonding that we had as a group going over there. Yeah. And uh, the time in the clubhouse after the match was just as much fun as the match itself. And it was pretty old school. But yeah, that's so that's pretty rare. That's pretty rare. Does it, how does rugby culture in France translate to what you knew it to be in the UK when you were growing up? Like, is, is it is it universal or or is it a different? I don't know. Like, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. You know, I think um, I think there's there's something you know. You have a rugby player. You know, somebody else is a rugby player, and you, you kind of understand that they're. Uh, what they've gone through, what kind of training they've gone through, that they probably don't mind picking up the odd knock, or they'll they'll be there for you. Yeah. You know, and it's just like anybody that plays in a team sport. But that that's kind of knowing somebody who plays rugby. There's a certain amount of respect for them, um, given to somebody instantly. But but once you play with people, once you actually step on a pitch and you have a match, yeah. it doesn't really matter what level that match is at. You know, after that, there's a bond between you between how many people are there. You know. 17 in our case because we, we haven't got enough players to get the full 23 yeah. you know the 17 people that have been out on the pitch and, and played together and backed each other up you know after 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 your first match with them that's when I found that you really start to bond properly you know if you just turn up to training and you do you play touch or whatever you know that's great you, you can meet people uh, play a few matches with them and uh, yeah you get you get quite tight yeah, yeah, I had a similar experience. So I used to play football with um, the local Chatel uh, football team when I lived there for a while, yeah. and it, and it was similar. You know that they were, um, yeah, and essentially it was the, the 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 ESF team more or less. And you know it was it was uh, aggressively francophone. You know, no English spoken here. Even if not, another player on the team was English, you had to speak to him in French, and and that was fair, and uh, and. You know, I, uh, a lot of the time we didn't understand a, a word that was going on in the changing room because they were speaking their local kind of French dialect. So I have no idea what was going on most of the time. But, and, and the other thing about showers is, is it just echoes around the shower. Yeah. You know, in the shower room. The yeah. acoustics are no idea what's going on. It's got to be the worst thing to try and pick up French language. Oh, my God, uh, yeah. Echoing around. Yeah. But what it does, what it does do, in exactly the same kind of what, as as what you were saying, you know, when you're there and you're running around and you're fighting for your mates and you kind of, you know, you're doing good things and, uh, and just doing the best you can. Like they see that, right? And they see that, you know, okay, this is, you know, this guy might be English, but he's here and he's playing for our team, and and that I think, I don't know, it's made me a lot of, it made me a lot of good friends over in that valley, and uh, and you know. Um, to this day even though I don't live over there anymore um, it's, it's an important and a good way of kind of integrating I think with um, with a with a lo- you know a small community where you you might be you know an outsider it's, it's a really good way in I find yeah it is and it is and actually yeah, I mean there's a, few, there's a few kind of genuine 
travel yards in our rugby team. And, but a lot of people are from outside of the outside of the region, outside the valley. Yeah. Even they come and make friends. And, uh, I think I think it's partly backing up your mates, you know, and especially in rugby, you know, somebody can re- they really can have your back. Yeah. They really can get that, get you out of a spot of trouble. Yeah. I think it's more than that. I think it's about. Um, getting on the pitch and, and making mistakes you know and we all make mistakes in whatever sport we try and do yeah. you're on the pitch and you make mistakes and you're in front of your mates in a pressure situation or whatever and, and it's having the it's having the backup of your mates so come on you can get back out there and having the humility to, to admit your mistakes and apologise for whatever terrible pass yeah. you just made or whatever yeah. and, and that's what puts friendship as well that, that humility I think yeah 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 and, so, and actually that, that brings back to you know I was talking about my, my mate Paul who's a Mm. Sports, sports coach. Well, he, he's talking a lot about humility in terms of um, being important, a really important part of our of our tool set, if you like, or just our approach um, to teaching. You know, you can't you can't afford to be somebody who is the big I am, who never makes a mistake, who's always got it right. You know, and that's in terms of your technical performance as well as in terms of of your, your teaching. Mm. Um, we, get things, we get things wrong all the time we just have to we have to admit it and otherwise we end up going to move on yeah yeah how does um, yeah obviously your um, is your is your son skiing for ski club Val d'Azer then is that uh, no he skis uh, he skis for Lizard because okay. we live down the valley so yeah, he skis for Lizard and and how do you, how have you found their sort of I, I guess you've taken a keen interest in their sort of ski ski club processes and stuff is it, it how, how, do, how do how does French key club um, coaching look like compared to say what an anglophone approach might be uh, you, you know what I haven't, I haven't really seen an anglophone approach you know, I, haven't, I, don't, I don't know what it would be yeah. you know, there's certainly there's certainly um, I, and I try not to take too much of an interest in it as well you know, I, try and, I try and keep arms around because I, yeah. I feel myself often Trying try to get involved, and I'm not sure it's helpful. Yeah, I just don't think it's helpful for for ask for me to stick my nose in. You know, so I'm I'm telling him about listening to his coaches. I'm asking what his coaches are about. Mm. You know, and I've never I've never ever contradict what they said, even if even if I didn't think it was right, I wouldn't ever contradict it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never I've never had a, a time when I, I thought it's not right, and, and actually. It's, there's no approach there is no approach you know, it's, it's one coach to the next and so with his, you know, he's in the under 14 section they've got three coaches that deal with him one coach will have a slightly different approach to another coach mm. um, and in the under 12 it was, it was similar as well you know they they, they free ski a lot and they free skied a lot when they were really little uh, there wasn't a rush into gates there was, a, there was quite a big emphasis on on doing the, doing the free skiing and actually, the pressure comes more from the parents, I think. Mm-hmm. So less less so under 14, because under 14 is that time when actually they're starting to, to race gates more often, there's more races, they need more training and all, all the rest of it. But at the under 12s and even in under 10s, um, in the under 10s, you know, the coaches say we want to do free skiing. And the parents are saying, hang on, Sam Fryer have been skiing gates for the past two weeks and we've only been free skiing. What's going on? We've got a race in a month. Do you know what I mean? So the, the, the pressure is actually coming from the parents, not the coaches. The coaches are wanting to do all the free ski stuff and the parents are, are worried about getting left behind. Mm. And so there's, there's loads of 
there's loads of these dynamics going on that affect the, the kids and the ski club and how they have an approach to stuff. But, um, you know, they, they, they take care of their athletes, you know, they really, they really take care of them. Um, so the Les Arts Ski Club do. Mm. Um, I, can't, I can't speak for any other ski clubs. Okay. Um, you know, certainly, certainly there, I've seen some at races where you know, the ski clubs, you know, some of the coaches are you know, just shouting and bawling and, mm. and um, yeah, I, I thought to myself, I just can't be helpful for this kid. No. When he's just about to go and start it. But I think, I think that comes down to individual coaches rather than you know, an approach that's, that's uh, institutionalised um, yeah. from, their, from their approach. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, what I mean, we're well into hour and a half here. So, why don't um, why don't we leave it there? And if people want to find you when they next visit Valzair to book ski lessons on the on the beginner slope or uh, in the backcountry or anything in between, where where where's a good place for them 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 to reach you? Give yourself a a plug. Well, you can find us on our website on TDCSki.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. If you put TDCSki, you'll get us. Um, and I'll, yeah, yeah, and I'll add uh, I'll add in a link also to uh, to that in the um, in the podcast notes so that everyone can find that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Oh, well, thank you so much right. for your time today. I really, really appreciate you um, taking the time to have a chat. Well, mate, it's been, it's been, well, I've enjoyed actually speaking to you and uh, remembering remembering those chairless chats actually. And how uh, <laughs> it's rare to be, it's rare to be able to get somebody to talk about non well non skiing issues or even to be able to link skiing into non skiing issues. Yeah, you know, I think uh, some of the people don't think deeply enough to do what they want to do, right? But um, yeah, so I remember having those nice chats with you and going, oh, that's nice. that was a really nice chairlift ride. I want to, I want to ride another chairlift. <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll move around and, and talk to other people too. Well, I think um, you've got it's to. Been a budget, it's been a budget to, to speak to you. Then. A bit of chairlift philosophy has never gone uh, <laughs> has never gone wrong in my opinion. And I'm, that's my rule, right? On, on the chairlift with clients, I've never talked about any, anything other than skiing. Like That's the rule. You know, you, you know we're, not, we're not talking about just skiing on the lift. We're talking about whatever i just want to get to know that person you know because i just think it's interesting the amount of interesting stuff that you get out of people is is just yeah. it's just so for me it's like you know what do you do what's your story i want to know i want to know what you're all about you know yeah yeah all right cool where are you, where, where are you from Dave? you'd like from, um, I'm, I'm, from i'm from london originally i'm from enfield yeah. in north london um but obviously there's no mountains there so yeah. I grew up skiing uh, on the Hemel Dry Ski Slope, uh, which has produced, you know, various, various amazing skiers. Um, not me, including, but the, the uh, yeah, so I grew up there. I, I went on my first school ski trip when I was 12 to Austria, I think, somewhere. And it kind of never left me after that, really. I tried to do a bit more. And, and when they opened up the, uh, the Milton Keynes Dry Slope, indoor one that I would be up there quite a bit and it was kind of carried on from there really yeah cool mm. well, mate, it's been a pleasure well, have, you, have you seen have you seen the level 4 videos have you seen the level 4 level videos no What's it, what is this is there something new are you in it yeah are you yeah. doing what uh, 
Crunch. Are <laughs> you? Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hunt that down and find a link for this. Uh, oh, they're, they're easy. They're on Vimeo. They're on. Uh, yeah, it's the level. It's the levels video stuff. It's on the. If you get the Daisy app, have you got the Daisy app? No, I haven't. I didn't know you had one. Uh, there's a Daisy app and the the, the 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 front of the manual on that. All right. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a baby app and it's just got the manual online and stuff like that. It'll be on YouTube somewhere though, won't it? Level four bumps, kind of. Yeah. Uh, quite, is that a new video? It's not the old one, is it? No, it's not the old ones. It's like um, there were some old ones that were done kind of uh, pretty quickly in introduction, you know, ten years ago by by Kurt. Now these yeah. ones are done by a professional photographer. I mean, it was amazing. It was um, I can't remember. It was three years ago, two years ago. Uh, definitely one last year. Yeah. So it must have been, must have been the year before. And we just had this professional photographer follow me and Lynn. And you, spoke, you said you spoke to Lynn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll have a look for those. Uh, and then being followed around by a professional photographer trying to do the strands, basically see the strands for a week. And it snowed at the start of the week. Yeah. And then it was sunny for the rest of the week. We just had an epic week. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I'd do... nice work if you can get it. But I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> all right, I'm going to go and hunt those down and I'll put your bump skiing video in the show notes so that everyone can see that uh, everyone can see uh, see see your genius okay alright cool yeah but, but the funny thing to that right Lynn, you know Lynn's uh, kind of ex, ex-teamish you know young yeah yeah young, pretty young, useful right yeah really really handy piece skier really handy piece skier decent, decent bump skier as well yeah but you know it kind of dawned on us as we were doing the Oh, it dawned on me as we were doing we do this week. I'm like, well, they've invited me to do this week to do to get this stuff on here. You know, I'm okay on the piece. I enjoy my piece. I like it. Yeah. Well, I've invited me. And then and it kind of dawned on me that I am the Bunsen. They brought me from a Bunsen variable. So I started calling myself the Bunsen variables guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's my role. That's what I'm there for. And then so Lynn was kind of like, all right, so I'm the piece performance. All right, I get it. That's a. It's yeah, not a. It's not a bad tag to get yourself, is it? No, no. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'm the bumps. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find a link. I'll send it through to you. All right. Thank you so much. Mate, it's been a pleasure.